Last week, we began a new series called Balancing Life's Demands, and we saw the importance of bringing balance to our lives in order to meet the demands that we face each day. I was talking with our staff this morning. We get together at 8 o'clock and pray for, for you and for the services here on Sunday mornings, and then we have another separate meeting with our worship team um, before the, the services begin as well. And I was talking about the fact that on any given Sunday, how you feel emotionally can be all over the roadmap. Isn't that true? Because sometimes you're way up here and sometimes you're way down here. And just think about that for a minute. If you were to give yourself sort of a, an emotional energy number um, from 1 to 10, 10 being high and 1 being low, what would that number be right now? Now, you don't have to share it. You don't have to raise your hand. But do you have a number in mind? What I want to talk about this morning is what can you do to move that number higher? And for those of us who are kind of down here, I hope this morning that God will really pour his, his strength and his hope into your heart. Because the fact is that we need all kinds of energy to meet the demands of our lives. Now, we began last week by looking at the different dimensions of life, and we talked about the example of Jesus. And this is a, a verse from Luke chapter 2 that describes Jesus as he's about to enter his teenage years. It says, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Jesus grew in wisdom. That's the intellectual dimension. He grew in stature. He just got bigger. That's the physical dimension. He grew in favor with God, the spiritual dimension, and Jesus grew in favor with people, which is that social, emotional dimension. Now, we pointed out something really foundational last week when it comes to balancing life's demands and just living the life that God designed us to live, and it's this principle, that Jesus is the model of the life God wants us to live, and Jesus is the source of the life that God wants us to live. Jesus lived a perfect life. He showed us what that looks like, but he does more than just show us how to live. He enables us to live a life that pleases God. He gives us the desire to live that kind of life and the ability to actually do it. So we need different kinds of strength. We talked about that last week. We need mental strength and physical strength and emotional strength, all these different kinds of, of strength. But today I wanna focus on one of those dimensions. The title of today's message is Overcoming Emotional Exhaustion. And let me give you this definition of emotional exhaustion from that trusted source, Wikipedia. Are you ready? This is actually a good definition. Emotional exhaustion is a chronic state of physical and emotional depletion that results from excessive job and or personal demands and continuous stress. Now, I know that at some point in our lives, we all go through these times of just being emotionally worn out, emotionally depleted and exhausted. And what I want today is to point to a story in the Bible. This is one of my favorite stories. It is so practical, and it's about a man named Elijah. And there's a verse in the New Testament about this Old Testament characters in the book of James, and it says this, that Elijah was a man just like us. Now think about that. He wasn't some kind of spiritual superhero. He was a person just like us who struggled with life and balancing the demands in his life. And in fact, he got so low one time, he didn't want to live anymore. And I believe that there's so much we can learn from this story about how God can restore us in terms of our emotional strength, our emotional health, and bring balance to our lives. But before we look at the story of Elijah, there's a verse I want to share with you. And this is from the book of Romans. In fact, can we read this verse together because it's a commentary on the stories in the Old Testament. Let's take a look. Let's read this together. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us 
so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So this morning, if you need endurance, if you need encouragement, if you need hope, this story is for you. Now we're going to look at some verses in 1 Kings chapter 19. If you've got one of the brown Bibles that we've provided, that's going to be on page 285. But I need to do this, I need to tell you the backstory. And you have to go backwards in your Bible to 1 Kings 18, because here's what's going on. Elijah, who makes his living as a prophet, a messenger from God, has a showdown with hundreds of false prophets who worship this God named Baal. Now, Elijah essentially challenges them to a contest, and here's how it worked. Um, They got two bulls to offer as sacrifices, and then the prophets of Baal get to go first, and they get to pray, to call on their God to send down fire from heaven to burn up the sacrifice. And then Elijah gets to do the same, and the people of Israel get to be the spectators, and they get to decide whose God is real. And some of you know what happens next. The prophets of Baal prepare their sacrifice and they begin to pray and to pray and to pray, but nothing happens. In fact, Elijah starts to taunt them and he says things like, well, you know, maybe, maybe your God is deep in thought or maybe he's taking a vacation or maybe he's taking a nap and so they just pray louder and start cutting themselves and making all kinds of commotion, but nothing happens. So they give Elijah an opportunity And just to make sure that everybody knows what's going on, Elijah pours water over his sacrifice, not once, but three times, and then he prays. And in an awesome display of God's power, there is this fireball from heaven that comes down and incinerates the sacrifice and everything around it, and the people of Israel fall on their faces and cry out, the Lord, he is God. The God of Israel is the God who is real and powerful. Now, this is literally a mountaintop experience for Elijah. But what often happens when you're way, way up emotionally? You know this from life experience. What happens next? Yeah, you fall off the mountain into the valley and you get way, way down emotionally. And that's exactly what happens to Elijah. Now, I need to tell you some other players in this drama. One is King Ahab. He's the king of Israel, and he is the worst king that Israel has had to date. And he's married to a lady whose name is still known today outside the Bible. Her name is Jezebel, and that's because she's, as they say, bad to the bone. And Ahab and Jezebel both hate Elijah. They want to see him dead. Now, we pick the story up here in chapter 19, verse 1, and this is what we read. Now, Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, and this is back in chapter 18, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. That was the consequence of them losing this contest. So Jezebel sent a messenger, Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. So essentially this is a death threat. So how does Elijah respond to this threat from the queen that she's going to kill him. I mean, he is a prophet of God. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba and Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. Now, that is a picture of emotional exhaustion. And I want to stop here just for a minute so that we can consider this question, and this is on your outline. What causes emotional 
exhaustion. I want to point out four things from this story that not only caused Elijah to become emotionally exhausted, these are the same four things that cause us to become emotionally exhausted. And the first is this, it's conflict. Elijah has some serious interpersonal conflict going on. The queen wants him dead. That is really significant. I read a story about two men who lived in this small village and they got into a terrible argument and they couldn't resolve it so they went to the town sage to see if he could help. They went to his house. And so the first man went and uh, talked to the sage and told his version of the story and the sage said, you are absolutely right. And then the second man talked to the sage and told his side of the story and the sage looked at this man and said, you are absolutely right. And then after these two guys leave, the sage's wife comes to him and says, no, wait a minute. You told both of these guys that they were absolutely right. That, that's just impossible. And he looks at his wife and says, honey, you're absolutely right. How many of you tend to retreat from conflict and even avoid it? You know, I know this, that emotional conflict makes me tired. And I suspect that's true for so many of us. It was certainly true for Elijah. And that's one of the things that can exhaust us emotionally. Conflict with other people. Here's another cause of emotional exhaustion. Failure. Failure. How many of you have ever played baseball or softball? Okay, quite a few. Now, I know I've played softball with a number of you guys before. Imagine this scenario. Um, you're in a championship game, and your team is down by one run, bases are loaded, you're up to bat, last inning. And uh, you've got two strikes on you, here comes the ball, and you can hear your team shouting, you can do it, we're counting on you. And you swing as hard as you can, but all you hit is air. And you hear the, the um, yell, yell, strike three. Now, how do you feel emotionally at that moment? You feel like a what, a failure. Now, how does that affect you? Do you feel really good? I mean, have you ever heard anybody say, I love to fail because failure fires me up? We know that failure has the exact effect. It brings us way, way down. And it's like Elijah has swung as hard as he can and he's missed the ball. He's struck out. See, he takes personal responsibility for the behavior of the king and the queen and he feels like it's his fault because they haven't repented and trusted God. In fact, in just a few verses, we're gonna see that Elijah blames himself for the failure of the entire nation. And so because he feels like a failure, he is worn out emotionally. Now here's a third cause of emotional exhaustion, fear. It says that Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Let me ask you this, when you wake up in the morning, what is the first emotion that you experience on a typical day? I know it changes from day to day, but what, what emotion do you typically experience right when you wake up? Now, I'd like to tell you, because I'm the pastor, and because I'm so spiritual, that every morning when I wake up, the first emotion I experience is the peace of God that passes all understanding. Or that the joy of the Lord, which is my strength. But, but here's the reality. For many of us, when we wake up, we're already tired emotionally. And often, we feel like we just don't have the resources to meet the demands of the day because we don't even know what those demands are going to be. And when we wake up and start thinking in that direction, it pulls our hearts and our minds toward anxiety and even fear. And one of the things that I have been working on for quite some time is to train myself when I wake up in the morning before my feet ever hit the floor is to talk to God and to say, Lord, good morning. 
Now, you know there's two kinds of people. You've heard me say this before, right? Those who say, good morning, Lord, and those who say, Lord, it's morning. But whichever camp you're in, it's a great way to start the day and just say, you know, Lord, I don't know what's going to happen today. You do. And I don't know if it's going to be a hard day or an easy day or something in between, but I'm trusting you to give me the strength and the wisdom and whatever I need to live this day in a way that honors you. And that changes everything because instead of our thoughts being pulled toward this, this fear and anxiety, we're pulled toward faith and trust in a God who loves us like nobody else. Now let me give you one more cause of emotional exhaustion from the story. It's loneliness. Loneliness. Look at the, the end of verse 3. If you've got your Bible open, I'll put it up on the screen as well. When he, Elijah, came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. So Elijah has traveled now a whole day into the desert, and he is what? He's alone. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. Why is Elijah in that kind of emotional state? Well, one of the reasons is that he's alone. He doesn't have anybody to encourage him. He doesn't have somebody to remind him of what's true. Nobody to put their arm around him and say, hey man, I'm here for you. And church, when we just commissioned our Stephen ministers, that was something that I am incredibly thankful for because we have many people in our church family who have so many needs. And the reality is this, that all of us go through those times in our lives when we face emotional exhaustion. Isn't that true? And it is so encouraging to have somebody come alongside you and listen to you and pray for you and point you to Jesus. And that's what these Stephen ministers are going to be doing. And I just want to say, if you're interested in, in joining our Stephen ministry team, um, we would love to have you be a part of that. And you can talk to me or, or Gail or, or Shane or Leah um, after the service this morning. Well, at this point in the story, Elijah is really a mess emotionally. And the question is, how did he end up like that? Because sometimes we end up like that, and what is the cause? And here's the short answer, faulty thinking. And here's why that's so true, because our thoughts influence our emotions, and our emotions influence our actions. We're all connected. Now, let me give you some common mistakes we make when we're emotionally exhausted. And these are mistakes in our thinking. And here is the first. We focus on feelings rather than facts. We focus on feelings rather than facts. Verse 4 says that Elijah came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. Now, you can't get much lower than that emotionally. Why does that happen? Well, one of the reasons is that Elijah is focusing on his feelings rather than on the facts. And this could be called emotional reasoning. Emotional reasoning says, I feel like a failure, therefore I am a failure. I feel like a lousy husband, therefore I am a lousy husband. I feel like God's far away, therefore God must be far away. I feel hopeless, therefore I am hopeless. Sometimes our feelings can mislead us, and often they're not in line with the facts. So that's the first mistake. We can focus on feelings rather than facts. Here's the second. We blame ourselves for things we cannot control. We blame ourselves for things we cannot control. Look at verse 10, because Elijah does this. He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites, even though I've been working so hard, have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left, and then now they're, they're trying to kill me too. 
Now here's what's going on. Elijah is taking responsibility for something that he can't control. Essentially he's saying this, I have worked my tail off and nobody listens. Nobody's changed. The nation has turned away from God and I am one lousy prophet. Let me ask you this. Do you ever blame yourself for things you can't control? I've talked to a lot of parents who've blamed themselves for the choices their children have made. You know, I've tried really hard to be a good parent. I haven't been perfect. You know, I've tried to be a good example to my kids and teach them the truth, but man, they have just gone off the rails. I am one lousy parent. Or how about this, the wife who says, I did everything I could to be a good wife, and my husband had an affair. It must be my fault. We need to make an important distinction, friends, between influence and control. We can influence other people, but we cannot control the choices that they make. And this is really an important distinction for moms and dads. Because as our kids grow up, they do make their own choices about where to go, who their friends are going to be, what they're going to believe or not believe. And the reality is this, as a parent, and I speak to you as a fellow parent and for some of you a fellow grandparent, and I know my wife Chris would, would echo these thoughts. You know, we really love our kids and we want God's best for them. And we try as hard as we can to influence them by the example of our life and through our faithful prayers. But the reality is that our kids still make their own choices. And we need to be passionate about praying that they would fulfill God's purpose for their lives. But the reality is this. We should not blame ourselves for those things that are beyond our control. That's what Elijah did. And that's what caused his emotional exhaustion. Now here's mistake number three, and it's simply this, quick review. We focus on feelings rather than facts. We blame ourselves for things we can't control. And number three, we exaggerate the negative. And this is what makes things seem worse than they actually are. Have you ever said this to yourself when you were really emotionally tired? Nobody cares about me. You don't have to raise your hand, but have you ever said that? Really? Nobody cares about you? Well, I'll tell you what, there may not be another human being that cares about you, but I know somebody who does. Or how about this? I always mess things up. Really? You always mess things up? You know, in verse 10, Elijah says this, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death by the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And here's what's interesting. The fact is, Elijah knows that he's not the only one left because in this book of 1 Kings, there's another prophet. His name is Obadiah. And Elijah knows that Obadiah has hidden 100 prophets so, so Queen Jezebel can't kill them. But he has a selective memory now. He's so focused on himself and his pain and his suffering that he's forgotten the facts. That can happen to us too. Now we've seen some of the, the causes of emotional exhaustion. We've seen some of the common mistakes we make in our thinking. But what can we do about it? What is God's cure to restore emotional balance in our life? Well, that's what we're going to look at as we wrap things up this morning. God's cure for emotional exhaustion. And here's the first, and it's extremely practical. Rest your body. Rest your body. And we see that right here in the story. Look at the next verse. It says, Then he, Elijah, lay down under the tree and fell asleep, because he just worn out. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. 
He ate and drank and then lay down again. Now notice what happens next. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Notice that when Elijah is so discouraged and so despondent that he feels suicidal, that God doesn't scold him or give him a sermon. God is very gentle with Elijah. And he makes it possible for him to sleep and eat and eat and sleep. And let me just say this. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is eat a snack and take a nap. Okay. And if you want to do that after church, This afternoon, you can say, Pastor Dudley told me to do that. That's a great place to start, to rest your body. And isn't this true? If you get a really good night's sleep, doesn't that change your perspective when you wake up in the morning? Absolutely. God knows that we need rest, not just for our souls, but for our bodies. So that's the first step. And here is the second. Release your frustrations. Release your frustrations. Some of you know, because I've shared this on a number of occasions, that that our three adult kids uh, played a lot of sports when they were growing up. And so we were spectators very often. And a number of years ago, quite a number of years ago, um, one of our children, who shall remain nameless, was uh, playing basketball. And I was watching the game. And as I watched the game, I got more and more frustrated because I didn't think the refs were watching the same game I was. It wasn't anything like upward, because we have great refs. They did a great job. But this guy was, I, I don't know if he was not paying attention or just didn't like our team or whatever, but I'm, I'm, I'm telling myself, hey, it's not that big a deal. Just calm down. You know, you're a pastor. You should say something encouraging like, God's grace to you, Mr. Referee, even though you can't see what you're doing. You know, something along those lines. But the reality is that when my son hit the floor and I didn't hear the ref's whistle, those were not the gracious words that came out of my mouth. Now, one of the things that I have learned is this um, throughout the years, that your maturity is displayed by how you choose to release your frustrations. Isn't that true? Because you think about little kids. You know, there's no real mechanism um, to prevent the release of frustrations in unhelpful ways. When a little kid is frustrated, you know it right away. And here's here's the thing. We all need a safe place to release our frustrations. Why is that? Because life is frustrating, And here's the deal. If you repress your frustrations, you're just going to become more angry. And if you suppress your anger, you're going to become depressed. And that's not what God wants. So where is a safe place to release your frustrations? To God. That's what Elijah does. He releases his frustrations. Now, just think about how Elijah really would have said this to God. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death by the sword, and God, I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. He's just dumping all of his anger and frustration on God. Why? Because God can handle it. Because God understands. And when you read the scriptures, that's what you find. When you read the book of Psalms, they are brutally honest in terms of expressing emotion. And listen, When you're upset, when you're frustrated, you can be honest with God. You can say, God, I hate my life today. God, this job stinks. God, my kids are driving me crazy. Or you can say something stronger that you normally wouldn't say in church and God will understand. Because he knows. He knows your heart. He knows your mind. He knows what you're going through. And listen, when you're honest with God, there is this catharsis that takes place, this this cleansing 
that moves you toward emotional health and equilibrium. So let's take a look at this again. What's God's cure for emotional exhaustion? What's the first thing? Rest your body, release your frustration, and here's the next thing, refocus on God. Now, who is Elijah focused on right now at this point in his life? Who's he focused on? Yeah, himself. When you're emotionally exhausted, who are you typically focused on? Yourself. So what does God want to do? God wants to shift his focus away from himself onto God. And it's really amazing how God does this. God tells Elijah to go stand on the mountain because God's about to show up. And I love this verse. This is verse 11. It says this. Then, with Elijah standing there waiting for God to show up, then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart. Imagine that. And shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. God speaks to this emotionally beat-up prophet in a gentle whisper. A whisper that's intended to move him away from failure back to faith. And notice the question that God asked Elijah in this story. Not once, but twice. Elijah, what are you doing here? That's a powerful question. Elijah, what are you doing here feeling sorry for yourself? Elijah, what are you doing here depressed over your failure? And friends, if you're feeling discouraged, if you're feeling emotionally depleted and exhausted this morning, I believe that's the same question that God would ask you or me. What are you doing there? And here's why I believe God would answer, would ask us that question. Because he wants us to understand we don't have to stay there. That he can move us away from where we are, that we can recover our emotional strength and bring our lives back on balance. Remember the verse that we looked at before the story of Elijah? It was Romans 15:4. It says, everything written in the past, referring to these stories, Everything written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures we might have, what's the last word? Does anybody know? Hope. Hope. God wants us to always live with hope, no matter how difficult the circumstances, no matter how emotionally exhausted we are, there is always hope. And friends, the gospel itself is built on the hope that God wants us to have. Because think about it. We talk about the bad news and the good news. And the bad news is simply that we've wandered away from God and his purpose. We've disobeyed God. We've broken his laws. And the consequence of our sin is that God has to punish us. He's a, a holy and a just God. He can't just look the other way. And the Bible is clear that what we deserve for our sin, our unfaithfulness, is to die and to be separated from God forever. That is a hopeless situation. And we're helpless to change it. We can't overcome the problem of sin or the problem of death, but God can. And that is where the light of the gospel shines the brightest. That's where we see the hope. Because Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, leaves his home in heaven. He becomes a human being. He lives the life we never could live, a perfect life, and then allows himself to be nailed to a cross for us. And this is such a remarkable story. It is a story of hope and rescue because on the cross, an amazing transaction is made possible. God is willing to do this. He's willing to put our sin on Jesus and punish Jesus in our place. 
And so Jesus dies the death that we deserve, and then God raises Jesus to life, and Jesus says, look, I've come so that you might have life. That's what he says in John's gospel. Life in all of its fullness, the kind of life you've always wanted, the kind of life that God intended, a life of joy and peace and freedom. And here's the deal. Jesus says, you come to me and you admit you're a sinner and you tell me that you believe that, that I'm who I claim to be and that I died for you and you choose to follow me and I will give you a new life. One that starts now and one that lasts forever. And this new life that Jesus gives us is a life of purpose. And remembering when we're emotionally exhausted that we have a purpose, a God-ordained purpose can move us toward healing and health. And that's the fourth thing on your outline. When you're emotionally exhausted, here's what we need to do. And this is what Elijah did, and we're gonna look at it. Recommit to God's purpose for your life. Recommit to God's purpose for your life. So here's a quick review God's cure for emotional exhaustion, number one, rest your body, release your frustrations, refocus on God, and recommit to God's purpose for your life. Now, I want to show you this because this is something you could easily miss in reading the story. This is in verse 15. The Lord said to Elijah, go back the way you came, because remember, he's run away because he's scared. He's running for his life. Go back the way you came, Elijah, and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Now, what in the world is going on? Simply this, God is telling Elijah to get back to work as a prophet. Elijah, I want you to recommit to my purpose for your life. Get off the sidelines, get back in the game. Now, in order for us to overcome discouragement and emotional exhaustion and even depression, we need to remember that God's purpose for our lives is greater than us, it's greater than our own self-interest. Jesus was asked one time, you know, what's the most important commandment? And you know the answer that he gave, love God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul, love your neighbor as yourself. See, God wants us to have this upward focus on him and this outward focus on other people, but when you're emotionally exhausted, where's your focus? It's on yourself, your pain, your problems, your suffering, your life. And friends, this is why worship can change everything. Do you realize that? Some of you have experienced this because you've told me about it. You've come to church and you've been just wiped out, flatlined emotionally, and God has poured his grace and his strength and his hope into your heart and you, you left differently. And that's because God has made us to know him and to love him. And when our focus is shifted away from ourselves onto God, we're reminded, hey, I can live with hope because there's a God who's in charge. It doesn't matter what's happening. God still loves me and God is still on his throne. That's how we started this service with that song, You Reign. And when we really believe that, when we sing that, when we declare that, God restores us to emotional balance. And that's why I believe that it is so important for followers of Jesus Christ to have a, a deep commitment to corporate worship, to be here unless, well, as we said, providentially hindered, unless God keeps you from being here, be here. Because here's the thing, you not only receive this encouragement, you encourage each other. We remind each other of what is true. And that's the second dimension. When you're really tired emotionally, as you focus on God and he pours his life and his grace into you, now you're able to extend that to other people. And that changes everything. Let me close with this thought. When I was in graduate school studying to be a pastor, one of my instructors was Steve Brown. And some of you know Steve Brown from Key Life. He actually spoke here at our church. And one time he was talking with a small group of pastors and he said, guys, listen, he said, here's the reality. 
Um, some days, you're going to have a lot of emotional strength and vitality. And when you're, when you're up, you think you're always going to be up. He said, but there's a flip side. When you're down, you think you're always going to be down. And boy, there's a lot of truth in that. And I didn't ask you to share your number this morning. But if you're a 10 or a 1 or anything in between, there's a, a passage of Scripture that I want to show you. Because this is an invitation that Jesus gives to us. It's an invitation that he wants us to accept. Especially during those times when we feel emotionally exhausted and totally depleted. And this is his invitation. Come to me. Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so very much for that invitation to come to you. Because Lord, as we do, as we take this yoke that's perfectly designed for us, as we are connected to you, as we let you, God, through your son Jesus, determine the pace and the direction of our life, we find rest, God. We find that a burden is light when we share it with you, Lord Jesus. And I pray, Lord, for the one this morning who came in these doors really tired emotionally, really depleted, because life is really hard right now. God, I pray that you would just reach out and by your mercy and grace, lift them up, give them hope that you're still in charge and you love them very much. And God, I pray too for the one who maybe for the first time this very morning has understood that they've never come to Jesus that they don't have a relationship with you, Lord, I pray that they would begin a relationship today by just praying and saying, Lord, I believe that you're the, the son of God. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and I just, I want to turn away from my sin. I, I know that I need a savior and I want to follow you, Jesus. I want to become the person that you created me to be and I want to live the life that only you can make possible. And Lord, for us as a church, I pray, Lord, that that we would learn how to live like Jesus lived, that we would learn how to love like Jesus loved. And God, as we sing this last song, I, I pray that it would really be an opportunity for us just to remember what a good father you are and how much you love us as your children and the difference that makes. So Father, accept this worship and praise from our heart to yours in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing our last song together.